0: Hey, everyone. Have you been enjoying this series? If so, there's something really simple you can do to help us. Go on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you've been using to listen to the show and leave us a nice comment and a good star rating. It just takes a minute, and it will do wonders for helping new people discover the series. So, thanks a lot, and on with the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Newberry Report, where grown-up people read little kid books and argue about them, on today's episode, A Year Down Yonder, by Richard Peck. Hello, and welcome to the Newberry Report. Bum, bum, bum. I'm Carrie Kasten, and with me, as always, is my co host Carolyn Burns. Hello, Carolyn. Hello,
2: Carrie. I hope you're having a beautiful day, listener, regardless of when you
1: listen yeah, to this. Absolutely. <laughs> Carolyn, would you like to favor us with a reading of the back of the book? I would. I'll read along in my head with mine, and we can compare.
2: Mary Alice's childhood summers in Grandma Dowdle's sleepy Illinois town were packed with enough surprises and drama to fill the double bill of any picture show. But now she is 15 and faces a whole long year with Grandma, a woman well-known for shaking up her neighbors and everyone else. All Mary Alice can know for certain is this. When trying to predict how life with Grandma might turn out, better not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mine definitely looks like it came out post-Thomas the Tank Engine, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. The front of your book does look a lot like Thomas. Like it's just missing a smile. He kind
2: of has eyes. a smile if you look
1: at that. Oh, yeah. yeah. He
2: just doesn't have eyes. He's a blind Thomas. Oh, that's Aww. so sad. Sad like this book. What did you think? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I liked it. Oh, really? I did. It's not It's not my favorite book I've ever read mm-hmm. in my life. yeah. That's Harry Potter. But but I I did. You know, it's funny. When I started reading it, I was like, this is not going to go well. I was so sure I was going to hate it. And then, like, as we kind of got into it a little bit more, I got into it a little bit. And then, like, by the middle and the end, I was, like, trucking right along. But it took me a while to get interested in it. It definitely was not something that grabbed me particularly, like, by the neck immediately. It was like, I was like,
1: get in here, Carolyn. <laughs> right. Yeah. I didn't like it. No? No. That's not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> Why? can you predict, do you think? Like, does it have, is it an inverse proportion to the amount that you like it? Or is there something about the book that you're like, nah? I think
2: that there's a big suspension of... Uh, belief that you're supposed to take with these characters, suspension of disbelief. Yes, no. You're supposed to suspend your belief in this book. <laughs> no, there's there's a, there's a little bit of that. yeah, suspension of disbelief that has to happen with uh, these like capers that they get into <laughs> and these characters. And I, I have found that that is not your favorite thing. <laughs> I
1: refuse. I refuse to disbelieve. Mm-mm. I want only the truth from my fiction books. <laughs> yeah, maybe that I I am personally I'm not attacking. I'm personally seeking like what it is that mm. my taste is cuz it's not it's not this. Mm. I have a there are a lot of moments that I did really like about it, but overall I was like and I could be wrong. I could be like just prejudging this this dude, but I was like this doesn't feel like a girl. This doesn't feel like a girl and her grandmother. It just doesn't Mm. feel like that. It doesn't feel like when I was 15, except for the times that tears just came out of her eyes and she didn't know. She was like, that just happens. I'm 15. And I was like, yeah, 100 percent. I support that. But like, I don't know. Yeah, the main character and the main drive of this piece is manipulation. Mm. That is it. The grandmother is just like, "This is what I want. This is how I'm going to get it." And it like is Machiavellian almost. (laughs) She just like (laughs) balls people out of the way. Borderline uses them, and like I guess it's okay because she's still nicer than anybody else. It's like really a benevolent dictatorship that this character lives in for the entirety of this book. And yet she loves it, which I get it. Like benevolent dictatorships are the most efficient use of resources. Fine. But I don't know this woman. That was the most upsetting. That's the thing I disliked the most about it was the grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> was the entire point of the novel, it Was the entire basically. point of the book, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Wow. You know what I didn't like about it was this the Mary Alice character who if we had not just read the back of the book I could not have told you her name. Yeah, uh, it is not something that is really beaten down <laughs> inside no. the actual
1: text. Um, her grandmother like never calls her by her no. name. No does does even the grandma have a name? Mrs. Dowdle? Yeah, Mrs. Dowdle. I don't know. That's but a good question. I don't know if we ever find out her first name. Mm-mm. I don't care to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> it might be in the prequel. We should note a third of the way into the show that this book is a sequel. It won the Newbery Award, whereas the previous book did not. So that's why we're not talking about that one. Right.
2: So this character, Mary Ellis, she has practically no personality of her own she is really just a vessel for telling the grandma story which is one of my big problems with many novels it's it's like classic like great gatsby oh like, i was
1: just about to say but isn't it great, isn't it great? <laughs> don't you love nick Carraway, <laughs> and his inability to make his own choices isn't it like representative of like how we couldn't figure out what to do with ourselves in a time that was like totally decadent and lavish
2: no, <laughs> but it's the same thing where like, we're never meant to particularly care about Mary Alice. She is just a way for us to tell the story of this grandmother, which is that that just feels like uh, you're cheating me. I want to know more about this Mary Alice girl. I bet her experience is, is worth noting, not just physically what happened, but how she's responding to it and how it's affecting her. We don't really get that side of it.
1: I I agree. And I I am further underlining your point by the fact she doesn't seem to change very much as she gets older, because we get these hints from the book that she is in her happily ever after. And it is from that point that she's like narrating the book. Yeah. Like, so we're we're getting hints that she's in her happily ever after,
2: not just the fact that the last line of the book is we lived happily ever after.
1: (laughs) Which (laughs) was that a hint? okay <laughs> I just like really mr peck like so we just have like a few of these lines that are clearly coming from some future mary alice world like she's talking about so she starts in chicago mm. um Her parents don't have enough money to look after her for a year. So uh, her brother has gone west with uh, one of the New Deal programs. She's going to go live with her grandmother who lives somewhere between Chicago and St. Louis off the train. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's talking about what she's taking with her, which is like a bag full of everything she owns, including a couple of outfits of her mother's that fit her. And then my trunk thumped out onto the platform from the baggage car ahead. There I stood at the end of the world with all I had left. Bootsy and my radio. Uh, Bootsy's the cat. And then my portable radio was in my other hand. It was a Philco with a leatherette cover and handle. Portable radios weighed 10 pounds in those days. Yeah, so she's, she talks about her the radio in those days, and she talks about how um, I would remember this always, and she's got a couple of other... Yeah, we get hints that she's kind of telling the
2: story from the future, but... It... Very, very minimal hints. It's not like we're actually getting any sort of like future iteration of Mary Alice at all,
1: yeah, and just that she's like it was what I thought it was, <laughs> or like these like gentle, yeah, it, there's no comment on it at all. So she's got all of these like, you know, I would be like this forever or i would I would turn into my grandmother or i would I didn't know that then or or a lot of asides like that that um that get sprinkled throughout the book. And my favorite one, she actually, uh, or he, we we get that subverted at one point, about two-thirds of the way through the book. The cat, she's brought her cat with her, Bootsy, and the cat was like this scrawny little city cat, and now this cat's like in cat heaven, but like alive, and like, you know, running around eating stuff, and it's like full, and she's like real sad because it's not hanging out with her anymore, mm-hmm. and so it starts – which I was, like, so nervous this was going to happen. She starts leaving dead things (laughs) in Mary Alice's bed, and it's, like, gross. (laughs) This is why I don't like animals. But one day, when I came in, the present on my bed moved. out. It was a kitten, a miniature Bootsy with bird brittle bones and four white paws in the air. I named her April on the spot. She was so tiny and breakable, I was afraid to touch her. But I meant to keep her. She'd replace Bootsie. I'd get a box of sand up here for her and sneak food from... M-dash. But then Bootsy appeared on the windowsill. Dropping down, she gave the ceiling a quick, cautious look. She leaped up on the bed, snatched her kitten by the scruff of the neck, and was out the window before you knew it. So (laughs) she's like, it's almost this, like, sprinkle of, and that's how April and I became friends for the next 17 years or whatever. (laughs) And the cat, like, literally jumps in in the middle of her retrospective reverie or whatever Uh and takes the kitten away. (laughs)
2: I mentioned, for me, I did not particularly think of Mary Alice as any sort of real person or character until two-thirds of the way through the book. Two-thirds of the way through. This is on page 86 in my copy. There's this Valentine prank yeah, where
1: she gets this— Are we going to this chapter now? Because we can go
2: to this chapter. I'm about to. I mean, I've got a lot to talk about, but we can skip right ahead to here. There's another girl in her class. Ina Ray, who receives all of these valentines and w- when no one else got any except for the one sort of obligatory one from the teacher. And there's this whole scene where the other more popular girl is getting upset and-, and how it's affecting her. And then we find out that it's Mary Alice that has made these valentines and pranked this girl. And then we immediately move on to
1: other things. I think she knew. I, I too, was like, whoa. <laughs> but I think, Ina- I think Ina knew. Ina was in on it. Yeah. Yes. Oh. It's just just the fact that I'm
2: like, oh, now we're supposed to like, what am I supposed to think about Mary Alice now that she's a person that's pranking now? We've never literally seen her do anything except or respond to the way that the grandma is doing things around her. And now suddenly she's pranking her. And then in the next breath, we find out that secretly she's the one that's been writing all these newsy notes, which is like this little i don't they're literally what they sound like they're they're notes about town it's just like a gossip column that she writes for like the local newspaper
1: like the first one shows up it's so my biggest problem with these guys is that they're in the same chapter so Mm -hmm. it's like this random little like reach out she does to like try this other thing i guess because it's called hearts and flower is the title of that chapter and it starts with one and i was like What is this?
2: (laughs) It starts with a newsy note. Yeah, Yeah. it
1: starts with a newsy note, and I'm like, "Why is this at the top?" But yeah, these newsy notes are sprinkled throughout, and it's like, I guess in some way, what? (laughs) This is my sorry. This is my note, (laughs) literally written in the margins of your of your copy. Okay. (laughs) What? I like the parallels between the newsy note and the fake valentines for Uh Inara, but it feels like this comes out of nowhere and isn't really pertinent. (laughs) Also, what is this local newspaper,
2: which is probably more like a newsletter? Yeah. That is letting a fifteen-year-old child submit her
1: well. They were anonymous, notes. I guess.
2: Well, she, no, she made a comment that she's like, I,
1: I used to have to walk through town to deliver my newsy notes. Well, she said she says later, I knew Maxine Patch, the the postmistress. When I was sending my newsy notes to the county seat newspaper, I had to deal with her. I'd given up writing newsy notes before people found out who was writing them. I was learning from grandma how to keep my business private. Mm. So there are anonymous hot tips (laughs) for the county seat newspaper Mm. that really gets all over. It's so I do like just thinking about this book because I was like, why in 2000 are we getting a book that is a woman who would be 80 if she were alive at the time the book is written, reflecting back on her 16 year old or 15 to 16, summer of 15 to 16. Mm-hmm. I was like, what are we... And it didn't feel particularly revealing about the Depression nor about um, the New Deal, or. but it didn't feel particularly revealing. But it was interesting how quickly and specifically information moved. Mm. And 2000 is sort of like around about the beginning of the internet sort of kicking off mm. <laughs> across the country. And so it was like... Oh, that's kind. I, I'm interested in this, like the way that we sort of gossip and talk, and the evolution of that, and how the internet's just made up of people I mean it's made Mm -hmm. up of computers connected yeah 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 but like it's just people on the internet except for bot but it's just like people communicating on the internet in the way that they used to communicate in person and so we can't say that the internet in and of itself did anything that we people weren't doing or trying to do before Mm -hmm. so I was like okay okay. I get that it just felt
2: it it felt like it was almost thrown in there as an afterthought And potentially just to pay off the ending, which is her being like, and now I'm an adult, and now I'm a news reporter, because remember that thing I did once? (laughs) Cool. (laughs) And now I'm married to that guy that I met once. Remember him? Cool. Uh, Which we can get to the epilogue later. Well,
1: that's it. That's the epilogue. That's the epilogue. But, like, I agree. It also felt like the newsy notes were only there to get people interested enough to get Valentine's out on the table so that she could then play this trick done on Carlene, which like, whoa, everything she does is despite spite Carlene, which I don't know what you want to talk about, but let's talk about the woman-on-woman hate going on in this book. Yeah. Jeez. There's a lot. There's so much, and so much of it is physical, and so much of it feels not illogical, but like sort of sporadic and based on nothing, I could have read an entire
2: book just based on the Mildred Burdick character, and I feel like it would have been a better book. Who do you think impregnated her? Um, oh, oh, I mean, probably a family member, right? <laughs> I mean, right? That's, like that's the that's the implication, I believe. Um, with a what? She was bigger, so she was probably like a sixteen or seventeen year old girl. Yeah. She seemed like she was a, a little bit uh, older, even though she was yeah. a couple of grades behind. But this poor girl. Uh, who has just everything going against her and is a s- snotty little beast of a, a of a bully and, and is, you know, a, a real terror to be around. But then to take away her horse and her shoes and send her on her way, knowing that you are effectively making it impossible for her to ever come back to even attempt to get an education, is so mean-spirited just for her being, uh, what, like a bully to the kids? I mean... I don't know. I know. I don't want to be bleeding hard about it and be like, but outreach. Why didn't anyone come and like take poor like Mildred under their wing? But I'm like, instead you took away her education, you sent her back, and now she got pregnant by an unknown man and then just a- abandoned her child at the Christmas pageant. It, there's so much there's so much there that I was like, I want to see that story. That's so much more interesting.
1: It's so upsetting and the sort of blitheness which with uh Mary Alice just like moves through life <laughs> sort of ignoring this really dark underbelly to the life that she's leading i was thinking i think the idea is that she was pregnant before i think a grandma dowdle apologist would say that she could tell that she was pregnant and like now this was an excuse for her to not go to school and return the horse to the horse's rightful owner but it was just like <laughs> Um, but here's some let's let's read some women hate, shall we? Mm, sure. Um, this is about Mildred. Mildred rode a horse to school, and I have to say, Mildred's horse was better looking than she was. Ooh, well. We the one it. thing I wrote in
2: my margins was when the horse went away. I just wrote, "Damn, Grandma!" <laughs> <laughs> like <Yeah>. eight A's.
1: <laughs> that was intense. that was the
2: the first real reaction I had to them because that's the first real time grandma like does anything that that sort of like makes you stop and and look at her. And I had no idea what was yet
1: to come. They take in an artist, a painter near the end of the book, who's also been hired by all the New Deal WPA work um, to paint a mural at at the post office where Maxime Patch works. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so grandma makes a joke about don't you want to get married and settle down here? And he's like, and he like walks out the door. (laughs) And then uh, Mary Alice says, Grandma, were you pulling his leg? And she said, I was giving him fair warning. Maxine Patch found him on the first day. She'll be up the coffee pot this minute, laying in wait. She's 36 and man hungry. There hasn't been an unmarried man around here since the last chain gang went through. Which is like, okay, maybe that's just like a reality. But then we go on. <laughs> with Mary Alice saying, I didn't know what to make of that. Maxine Patch had a figure you noticed, but not the face to go with it. And she was thirty six, so I probably thought that she was way too old to be thinking about romance. <laughs> okay, <laughs> later. So there's a snake in the attic. The snake, oh, the
2: snake in the attic,
1: <laughs> falls on Maxine while she's posing nude, not naked, because he studied in Paris. Right, nude. Um, and then the snake fell on her and like wrapped itself around her, and she like goes running out of the house. And uh, Maxine was screaming for her life, and the snake was all over her. It was looped around her shoulders where it seemed to have dropped on her. It clung to one of her sizable hips. Okay. All right. (laughs) And there was still snake to spare. Okay. We get it. It's a big snake. She's a big woman. (laughs) Gosh.
2: Oh, my goodness.
1: And then when um, Mary Alice, like, decides she's into Royce, she's like, oh, I'm going to invite him over so he can teach me math because I'm a girl. I'm, like, bad at math but, like, good at English yawn. But anyway, so she invites Royce McNabb over. uh, And she says to grandma, I thought I'd ask the boy, the new boy to come over, Royce McNabb, I think his name is, so we could study together. And then she said, grandma's like very skeptical. And so she says, grandma, Carlene Lovejoy's set her cap for him. And I want to make my move before she makes hers. That was talking her language. Mm. Grandma said, well, squeeze some lemons for a pitcher of lemonade. (laughs) Okay, so we're perpetuating this like woman on woman behavior. Yes. And like the economist in me wants to be like, I get it. There are only so many viable young men in this town, but like, you are an out of towner. <laughs> Don't take one. <laughs> Go back to Chicago where there are tons of men. Like, poor little Carlene. Yeah, she's stuck up, but this is like straight up all she has. Yeah. <sighs> Upsetting. A lot yeah. of, a lot of. Negative talk about other women's bodies and wombs dropping,
2: I think in like a a big sort of like macro way, you could even say that like grandma has been a victim of this sort of like woman on woman craziness because. It becomes very obvious that the point of this book is like, Grandma's crazy. She's so stern and, and all of this, but like, oh look at her look she did like she did that nice thing. And then, oh grandma, she's she's so, you know, aggressive, but oh oh, she did another she did another nice thing. You know, like that's sort of the pattern. It's like slowly you realize that grandma was a good woman all along. Uh, which is nice. You know, we get she she makes her that like little tin halo for the Christmas pageant. She buys them like uh, round-trip railroad tickets on the the very, very little money that anyone has, mm-hmm. you know, in this day because it is set during the Depression. And then uh, the she's raising money for the woman with the um, invalid son.
1: Who was gassed during <laughs> yes. the First World War, or as they call it, the Great War because they don't know what's coming. She Yeah. She saves the
2: cats from the tornado. Then she saves the neighbors. And you sort of realize that, like, grandma's kind of been, like, on point the entire time. Just – I mean, she's a little bit, like, gruff and, and uh, standoffish. But never once has she really done anything to directly harm someone. Maybe – uh, you know, like stealing pecans from an old man. Uh, but even like throwing glue on that kid could be seen as like she was protecting her property from yeah. the from these hooligans that were coming to literally tear down their bathroom. <laughs> and it's, I, I just think like, I'm like, Grandma's not a bad person at all. I don't know where this stereotype perpetuated. And I was like, oh, it's from, I bet, just the way that this town is. You have to be strong to survive. <music>
1: just a moment.
0: If you're enjoying this show, you might also like some of the other podcasts on Race Car Radio. For instance, you might try Mind Your Own Business with Mike and Matt. Do you own or run your own company? I'm a small business owner, and let me tell you, it's a lot harder than I thought it would be. But never fear, we're here to help. On Mind Your Own Business, Mike Ganzel and Matt Plosiak, two brilliant consultants with decades of experience between them, take real questions from real small business owners and give them answers that help put them on the track to success. It's smart, funny, informative, and we promise it will help you make your company the best it can be. Listen and subscribe now to Mind Your Own Business with Mike and Matt at racecarradio.com. Race Car Radio is proud to support the work of AYA Worldwide, a tenacious and dedicated organization working to address the root causes of poverty in West Africa. Because they believe that who a person is and where they come from should not solely determine what they are able to achieve. To learn about their work and how you can support it, please visit ayaworldwide.org.
1: down yonder. I love how the chapter is called Gone with the Wind that the tornado is in and then she straight up instead of going where she's supposed to runs home, which is exactly what Dorothy does in Oz. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Isn't it? I was like, oh, maybe there's something in that cuz both movies came out the same year and like eh, I don't know, but I was just like, why does she do that? And and we're supposed to believe it's because she, like, is worried about her grandmother. But there's a lot of telling us that, not showing us that yeah. about the grandmother because we don't see a lot of weakness in the grandmother. And it's just through um, Mary Alice being like, I was worried about her. And we're yeah. like, why? why?
2: She's like, I was worried. She's older and it's really cold out here and she's working really hard. And I'm like, but is she struggling? Was she breathing hard? Is she She's slowing down. No, none of those things. It's just what you think. You're just making assumptions based on her age and size.
1: Yeah. I Mary Alice talks about this year being, like, the year that changed her life. And I'm thinking about when I was 15 and 16 and, like, yeah, that year 100% changed my life. Like, my first, like, super serious I'm-in-love high school boyfriend, like, cheated on me with his ex-girlfriend and my parents broke up the same year. Like, oh. like it was a lot. But I don't remember it, mostly because I blocked it out because it was so painful. But I don't... I don't think that that year affected me that much that I would, like, be like, I'm going to get married in my high school. <laughs> Take back this narrative You're or whatever. you married
2: in your high school? No.
1: <laughs> it's the most romantic place to get married. Everyone's doing it. <laughs> anyway, so she talks about, like, this year being, like, so influential and her grandmother being so influential. And, like, we just don't see any of that. We're just told it over and over again. And I sort of got with like, all right, I'll believe you. I'm suspending my disbelief, (laughs) which apparently I'm not very good at, but (laughs) I'll do it for you. But I was kind of like, to what end? Yeah. It wrapped up far too neatly, as you suggested. As we get closer to like things I know and experience, I'm like, what, where did this come from? Where is this what brought this book about? Why was everyone like, yes, this book? And mm. this one, I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah. It's
2: an interesting choice from the the panel um, mm-hmm. of the American Library Association to choose two Depression-era books in a row. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that multiple Depression-era books come out every year. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not like, oh, well, you know, we yeah. don't want to choose it, but it's just that's all we got. Uh, I thought it was very interesting that we had the same time Frame uh, for for two books in a row, and yet they're so they are they are so different mm-hmm. in so many ways. Uh, for obviously, but I think that they're really similar in a way where it's like not about the depression; sure. it's just about like someone's particular life during the depression and how like it kind of filters in. Mm-hmm. I remember when uh, right after nine eleven, and like the day after nine eleven, my whole September twelfth so, <laughs> is that what it was. <laughs> September twelfth, two thousand one. But people were saying, "They're like, what does this mean?" And I, re- I still remember to this day, some girl. She was like, "This means we're going to war." And this was obviously before any uh, declaration of war. But that's what they called it, yeah. But it was something. And, and I f- remember we'll everyone in freaking infinity, yeah. out and being like, oh, my gosh, what does that mean? We we were young. We'd only ever seen, like, movies. And we thought people would be, like, shooting each other in the streets. Uh And I had one, uh, one of our, like, history teachers was like, no, it'll be the same. Just, like, some small things will be different. But, like, your day-to-day life will be the same. And, and in many ways that is true. It's mm-hmm. not like we are in a war zone. And that's why I kind of like about these like depression era books. It's like it's not like we people just sit around all day talking about the depression. Yeah. Uh, They just live their lives. But it might be hard to find sugar sometimes, you know, and that's what I kind of I felt I I did enjoy that aspect of it, of just being like, no, this is just something that also happens to be like parallel happening. Mm
1: I did think it funny that in this book, I was like 15. That's like a little old for puberty. It's like a little old for period talk. But then we got them, the change, (laughs) the menopause, the hot flashes, and her womb dropped. And like, I I imagine that um, Mary Alice has never talked to anybody about uh, menopause before. So she's like literally imagining a woman with like an organ hanging around her
2: feet. (laughs) That'll scar you. Maybe that's why this is the year
1: that she remembers. Yeah. I mean, that was it, the year i stopped sleeping yeah and it's the year she like clearly it formulated something about her personality and she met her husband wh- with whom she lived happily ever after no questions asked I'm sure. this
2: epilogue oh my gosh
1: i i was really close to being like
2: i liked this book i think it was an interesting read and then the epilogue happened and i was like you just you just stabbed me in the back <laughs> It was two pages of let's just wrap everything up just so nice in my little bow and tell you how much I've grown and how much I've learned to appreciate my grandmother. And, oh, yeah, I married that guy that I met that one time. Yeah. But they wrote to each other. Well, you know,
1: they lived happily ever after. They lived happily ever after. That's a great place to talk about our illusion of life. Ooh. All right, Carolyn. So, what did you learn from this book? What uh, ideology did you see expo- espoused, or what thought process did you extrapolate from this book?
2: Nothing. Nothing.
1: <laughs> you have a page with a post. I do.
2: I mean, I I tried to find one, but it's hard. There's there's not um, a well a sort of like a a nice little nugget of of an illusion that's in the text only because no one really talks about their feelings mm-hmm. in this and even when since like uh, nice moments are happening no one is speaking sincerely they're like speaking uh in in almost like you old coot <laughs> yeah it's like shut up you old coot i could have i could have let you die but you got to keep on kicking stuff and, and like that's <laughs> and you're like aw, oh, it's like go help your neighbors, and yeah. because that's the right thing to do. But like, nowhere is that actually written in the text, yeah. so I can't actually call that an illusion. Yeah, unless yeah. I just say like this general scene is my sure. illusion, extended which metaphor. We, we can't do. Um, we can do whatever we
1: want. It's our podcast. <laughs>
2: um, so I just picked. I, down I, neck. I picked not an illusion of life for the reader. I picked what I thought Grandma Dowdle's illusion Ooh, of life was. Okay, and this is right after she stole a bunch of pumpkins and pecans to make uh, all the pies for everyone. And so her and Mary Alice are in the kitchen and they're, they're kind of like cutting up the pumpkins and, and shelling the pecans and, and getting ready to start baking these pies. And she, and it says to her, borrowed pumpkins were far sweeter than bought. <laughs> <laughs> and I, just, I just thought that was so wonderful because I was like, yep, <laughs> I, I believe that. I really just genuinely think that that's how she feels. <laughs> why did she go buy the Or why did she go steal these pumpkins it seems like she's not hard up for cash
1: well we are told that she is and then she does a variety of things that get her a lot of money like yeah. selling the fox pelts mm-hmm. and then taking in the um, border yeah uh-huh. um, for, for, she's taking the government's money right so he's got this per diem for the government and she takes uh, more than half of it <laughs> way more than half <laughs> And um, Mary Alice speculates that it's, like, to get some of her tax money back. And then she says, but I doubt that she paid taxes, (laughs) which uh, I'm, like, I don't know where I've – she's, like, on this – I guess there's a conversation we had about morality. Like, maybe that's sort of, like, what one of the major talking points of this book is of, like, where does Grandma Dowdle fit on the scale of morality? Mm -hmm. You know, is she amoral? Is she whatever? And I don't know. But it's just not it, all these things feel like I'm endowing the book with like maybe this is something I'm drawing from it, but I'm just not compelled enough by its argument mm. to get on board, I guess. Yeah. My illusion of life oh. comes from Mary Alice. So this is about uh, Augie Fluke, the, uh, <laughs> the dorm, principal security, slash janitor slash. The principal slash janitor. Yeah. Man And his son, Augie Fluke Jr., mm. who is caught by Grandma trying to break down her privy. She gets glue all in his hair and he shows up to the Halloween party with his head shaved and all these scars from like, them pulling the glue out, I guess. But ever since Grandma had glued his head, Augie had never looked me in the eye. He was a skulker by nature anyway. Now he blinked at the sight of me. But his eyes narrowed and I read his mind. He was going to show me a thing or two about marksmanship. He knew my grandma was a dead shot, but she was a mere woman. Did I read all this in Augie's squint? If you're going to read minds, start with a simple one. (laughs) And I was like, touche, Mary Alice. (laughs) Touche. That's the way to go. I love it. So if you were to write this book, mm. what would you give it? Mm. You know what? Drum roll that doesn't affect the microphones. Uh, I'm going to give it one kitten. Aww, yeah. That's sad.
2: Because it's sweet and it's great and I love kittens. Yeah. But I wish the other six were also there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm going to give it one green eye and one blue eye. <laughs> because there's something to investigate there <laughs> something just being swept under the rug that really needs a little child protective services and just maybe some newer blood mixed in I don't mm. know not going to tell you what to do you know yeah the verdicts <laughs> well thank you so much for hanging out with me and talking with me about a year down yonder yeah yeehaw yeehaw alright goodbye Carolyn Burns goodbye Carrie Kasten Goodbye. Thanks so much for listening. Join the conversation and tell us what you thought about the book on Facebook.com slash Newberry Report. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y Report. And at Newberry Report on Twitter. And never miss a show by making sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and all your favorite podcast apps. You can also find our show and some other terrific podcasts at www.racecarradio.com. The Newberry Report is hosted and recorded by me, Carrie Kasten. My co-host is Carolyn Burns. It was edited by Austin Cologne. Our executive producer is David Hoffman. The Newberry Report is a production of Race Car Radio.
0: Racecar Radio is a division of Citizen Race Car. We tell stories.